0: Let's open our Bibles today to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you are a guest, I'd love to meet you before you get away, and I'll be out in the commons after the service, and I'd love for you to stop by and say hello and introduce yourself and give a chance for us to get to know one another. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you. And we are celebrating today the firm foundation that we have in you, in Christ, and in your word. And today, Father, we we offer this uh, time of praise and worship, study of your word. We offer it to you. we are trying to communicate to you by our gathering our singing, our giving our praying the reading and studying of your word that we love you we are grateful to you grateful for your presence grateful for your power grateful that you are with us in this time and always and forever. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be free to work. Protect us from distractions. I pray our hearts would be good soil to receive your word. We pray, Lord, for those that you have in this room today that need their sins forgiven in a personal relationship with you, I pray today they would receive you, Jesus, as Lord and Savior. And even, Lord, I pray that, I think, about a day when I called out to you personally and you saved me and changed my life forever, and I pray that happened for somebody in this room today. We pray these things, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. There are many hot-button issues that we can think of to address in uh, this day, and I'm particularly thinking of this fall. Many of those hot-button issues, if we put them on a billboard or a social media ad that we were going to be addressing those, it might uh, stir some interest. might draw a crowd. Uh, We could turn our attention to those things and uh, people come just because that particular topic is being addressed. And many of those issues in our culture do need the influence of God's word and the instruction of God's word. We face a changing culture. That's no uh, new news to you. Many times I find Uh, that I'm in conversations with people where as the world changes around us or even maybe environments change for people because of moving or relocating or new season in life, I'll hear statements like this. It would have been good to know that before this. It would have been good to know. I I wish I had only known. And so over these next few weeks, we will be thinking about some things that would be good to know. Um, Our our last few weeks, um, we've looked at God's Word and talked about our church and our life, and we talked about some things that we said, these are worth it. The Word is worth it. Relationships, generations, living on mission, it's worth it. It's worth it. But in the midst of dealing with the Word and being in relationships with others in one generation, interacting with another generation, and actually living on mission in our world, a lot of things come up where we're saying, yeah, these values are good, but what do I do about this? How do I respond to this? Uh, This is changing so much, and that's a a world that we live in. Uh, Probably few in this room would have been thinking. I certainly would not have thought that there would be a day where uh, in our world that there are more people who smoke marijuana than there are people who smoke cigarettes. Do you know that? In August of this year, a Gallup poll surveyed and found that for the first time in the history of our nation, more people smoke marijuana than they do cigarettes. It's a changing world. We live in a day where men who feel female are allowed to compete against those who are born female. We scratch our heads. What's going on in our world? We live in a world where LGBTQ plus issues are part of our everyday conversation and everyday reality. It's a changing world. What does the Bible have to say about those things? was I think about a lot of issues like that that we might uh, say uh, are changing around us, that we're confronted with. I'm personally convicted that um, we may not be prepared to deal with the issues that come into our house until we verify and fortify the foundation on which our home is built. I say that again. Uh, We're not prepared to deal with the issues of our day that come into our house until we verify and fortify the foundation on which our house is built. Much of the change in our culture is accepted, even in the church, because there is no firm foundation on which we stand. And our churches may move with the world instead of being a church that moves the world. And so over these next few weeks, I want to take some topics, some passages of Scripture, and address under this subject of good to know. Because as we confront daily living... There's some things that can prevent us from being in a place where we're saying too many times, I wish I had only known. The series that we will look at over these next few weeks in some ways is, um, is systematic theology. Now, we didn't put in social media and we didn't announce ahead of time, come Sunday we're doing systematic theology, all right? And um, I did think earlier this summer that there might be uh, a few in the crowd that might uh, appreciate Weaver D's, and REM, and we could just call this series Systematic for the People. And um, just ask an older person if that just went right over your head. In, in a lot of ways, this series is a primer For Christian living. It's preventive medicine perhaps. It's foundational building. As we address these topics. And particularly today. I want to tell you that. I am in many ways. A product of people that I've learned from. People that have taught me. And people that have given me a foundation. Teaching scripture. Doing research and. I don't want to say something today that you might um, say, wow, that's, that's brilliant. If I say something that's brilliant, let's say, uh, good job, Holy Spirit, or let's say, uh, he's been reading this week, all right? And I've been influenced in these studies over these days by a 100-year-old book by W.H. Griffith Thomas. I've been influenced by James Montgomery Boyce and Adrian Rogers and Alistair Begg and Al Mohler, just to name a few. So today I want us to address together this topic of good. it's good to know that the Bible is the Word of God and can be trusted. And I say it's good to know because there was a... A day in my life maybe there's been a day in your life the day may come in your life next week in class or at work when I stated my belief I, I lived according to some conviction I had and someone asked why do you believe that or why do you say that or why do you think that and I said because the Bible said so and the next comment was oh you believe the Bible you 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 trust the Bible? Isn't that book outdated? Isn't that book something that was written by people that were not as educated as we are today? Don't you know that there's a lot of new information that would set the Bible aside for a day gone by? And so today you may be way beyond this thought of any thinking about the Bible, but perhaps for some in this room, we could put it in one place on one Sunday and say, here are some reasons that the Bible is trustworthy. Here's some reasons why you can build your life on the Word of God. Dr. Al Mohler says this. He said, we can address issues of marriage and sexuality and gender, But on these issues, as with all others, we must ask ourselves the foundational question of the ages. How do we know what we know? Has God spoken? If so, then is that word authoritative and utterly reliable? And I stand before you today as I stand before you every Sunday in my intent, as long as the Lord would allow me to do it, to stand before you with the conviction that the Word of God is utterly reliable, that it is trustworthy. And today, as every day, I would preach the Word of God in line with this particular statement. Is a quote from the Baptist Faith and Message about God's Word. It is this. The Holy Bible was written by men, divinely inspired, and is God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error, for its matter therefore all scripture is totally true and trustworthy week after week after week that I ask you to open your Bibles that is the conviction that I come here with in believing that this is God's word that he has authored this book that he has given as its end salvation there is no error and it is worthy of our trust is worthy of our hearing and obeying. Now, this is not new with us. The very word itself speaks of this type of environment. Look, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Thessalonica, says Chapter 1, verse 13. And we also thank God continually. And we also thank God constantly for this. What is he grateful for? What would he what would he unceasingly carry in his mind? What what would he have gratitude for? We also thank God constantly for this. "...that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus." That are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. What the Apostle Paul was grateful for unceasingly was that when they spoke the word of God, they received it as the word of God. And he saw the treasure of the word. He saw the impact of the word. He celebrated that in their hearts that they were convinced that what they heard and what they were taught was the word of God. And so, let me... Let me give to you here in one place on one day nine reasons that I find the Bible true and trustworthy. Number one, I would call the first reason that I find the Bible true and trustworthy, the first reason that I would say that we receive this book as God's word, number one, is generational discipleship. I, I don't know, that's not a, a phrase that I read in any other author. That is, um, I take the blame for point one. All right. And by generational discipleship, what I'm talking about is that from one generation to the next, all the way to the life of Jesus, that I have been discipled to believe that God's word is true. And there's a biblical basis for this. And it's when the Apostle Paul spoke to Timothy in his letter to Timothy. In 2 Timothy, the last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. And he wrote it to a young pastor. And he commended him for the faith that he had. That had been taught to him by his grandmother Lois and his mother and what the Apostle Paul does is he shows that those that were trusted in Timothy's life had given to him something that he could believe. And there was this one generation to the next passing it on. And I know that when I stand before you today that one of the reasons that I believe the word of God is true is because of people that I have found to be trustworthy in my life believe that the word of God is trustworthy. And you just trace that back from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And I would offer to you that if you're struggling in your belief of the word and the truth of the word, to hold on to hold on for the Spirit of God to continue to work in your heart and reveal to you and show you and convince you but to hold on to the Word of God because of those that you trust in your life holding to the Word of God. There are three pastors in my life that have been extremely influential on me. I think of Brother Mike Perry who was my childhood pastor and he taught me to love people. And I think of Bob Pittman who taught me to love preaching and I think of Al Jackson who taught me to love the Word and when I stand before you week after week after week and I say let's open our Bibles, it is not only a tribute to the truth and the importance of God's Word it is a tribute to Al Jackson, who for years I heard him say week after week after week after week in a university town, let's open our Bibles. When Al was a college student, he felt the call of God on his life, and he transferred to Sanford University. And while a student at Sanford University in that Time period of Sanford, he encountered professors that were teaching that the Bible could not be trusted, and he talked about the struggle that he went through. and He went home to his childhood pastor and he said, "I'm, "I'm, I'm struggling with this. Why am I hearing this?" And he said, his childhood pastor told him, "Al, just keep studying, keep praying, keep holding on, and in the meantime." just believe what you heard in your Sunday school class every week from your teachers. So number one, I would offer generational discipleship as a reason that I believe the Bible is true. Number two, I believe the Bible is true because the Bible, because of the Bible's claims about itself. Throughout the Old Testament, you find again and again, God spoke. Thus saith the Lord in the New Testament. The New Testament makes claims about itself that this is the, the word of God. I just read to you this verse from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 that you heard the word of God, you received the word of God, and we're thankful that you received it and took it in as the word of God. Listen to 1 Peter Chapter One, I'm sorry, First Peter Chapter One, Verse Twenty Three. Says having purified verse verse First Peter One Verse Twenty Two, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Verse 23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding, what, word of God. And then again from Peter, in Second Peter, chapter 1, verse 16, For we do not follow cleverly devised myths, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased." we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts knowing this first of all that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Bible claims about itself to be the Word of God. In the New Testament alone, referring back to the Old Testament, there are more than 280 times, more than 280 times when the writers of the New Testament spoke about the Old Testament, convinced that the Old Testament was the Word of God. Any time when you're reading through the New Testament and you find they read the scriptures or searched the scriptures, it is a reference to their confidence in and their trust in what we call the Old Testament and the Bible claims about itself to be the, in in 2 Timothy 3 16, to be the inspired word of God breathed out by God, useful for teaching and instruction, correction and rebuke The Bible makes its claims about itself. Think about it today if you pick up a book and you've just added it to your library and you sit down and you begin to read the first chapter and that book begins to say to you, today you're reading in this book a book that will never fade away. What you're holding in your hand today is a book that will be here for eternity. Even after you're gone, this word that I've written will stand forever. Here's what we would think. We would think, I must have picked up a copy of what? The Bible. Not an author that was born in New York City on Mass Avenue. We 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 see claims like that made by people today and we think that's this but you hold in your hand a copy of a book that is claims about itself in a most unusual way that it is the word of God which puts it on trial for its entire existence of whether or not it is the Word of God. And here we are, some 2,000 years later, a little less than 2,000 years later, of when the canon of Scripture was brought together, still standing the test of time, still being proclaimed all over this city, all over this nation, around the globe. A third reason. And I find the Bible true and trustworthy. This idea of generational discipleship, the Bible's claims about itself. And number three, the claims of Jesus. The very claims of Jesus. Jesus Christ himself believed Scripture was the Word of God. James Montgomery Boyce says the most important proof of the reliability of God's Word is Jesus' view of Scripture. Jesus, we, we see, is without sin. We see that he is the one who lived and died and rose again. And Jesus being who he is in history, it would seem foolish that the one thing that he would get wrong would be his view of Scripture. But you find him again and again and again in his teaching, in his, in his uh, miracle working, in his life. To constantly refer back to his view of God's Word, particularly the Old Testament. In his storytelling, in his parables, in his quoting. When he spoke of his own resurrection, he spoke of Jonah. When he encountered the enemy, he used the word as the powerful tool against the enemy to defeat him. Number four, the durability of the word. I believe the Bible is true and trustworthy because of the durability of the word. What we hold in our hands today is not a book that was written last year. Or a hundred years ago. But it is a book that has stood the test of time. It is a book that was composed over 1500 years. And it is a, a book that with. Again and again and again. Has faced attack. And. Criticism. And study like no other book. Think about that. Think about the the effort and the energy and the money and the lifetimes that have been given by people to try to disprove the Word of God. And yet we still find that, as Adrian Rogers said, that this is not the book of the month, but it is the book of the ages. And it stands the test of time. It's durable under attacks. When you think about the enemy's strategy to destroy the work of God... I I can identify at at least kind of forefronts of the enemy's strategy. Our enemy seeks to disprove the resurrection. If the enemy could disprove the resurrection, if he could produce a body, if he could take us to a grave where the bones of a a body could be DNA tested and somehow prove to the world, we found the body of Jesus. Apostle Paul says himself in 1 Corinthians that our faith would be in vain if the resurrection was not true and so the enemy would try to disprove the resurrection on the just like he did from day one of jesus's resurrection the enemy has a strategy of dividing the church and he's won in many in many ways by dividing churches and creating disunity and the churches and he has a strategy of destroying believers and you th- you see that through persecution around the globe one of the enemy's greatest strategies is to devalue the revelation of God to have us in a place where we doubt the word and we question the word and we criticize the word and we want to set the word aside but i would offer to you that under Attacks and criticism like no other book in history that the Bible has stood the test of time and in fact, the very attacks on the word of God have served to make it stronger and more provable that it is reliable. Several years ago, Time Magazine ran an article about the reliability of the word of God and the attacks upon the word of God And listen to this quote, written by secular authors, Time magazine, after more than two centuries of facing the heaviest scientific guns that could be brought to bear, the Bible has survived and is perhaps the better for the siege. Even on the critics' own terms, historical fact, the scriptures seem more acceptable now than they did when the rationalists began their attack. Number five, fulfilled prophecy. The reason that I believe the word of God is reliable and true is because of fulfilled prophecy. And it doesn't take us working through in this setting prophecy after prophecy after prophecy to show their fulfillment but just to say that when you open this book and you look at the Old Testament who predicted Things to come, and you look at the New Testament and you see the fulfillment of things predicted, you find in the New Testament, God's Word, more than 300 fulfilled prophecies. Prophecies that were hundreds of years before their account. Just one psalm, Psalm 22, that single psalm has at least 33 fulfilled prophecies in the life, death, burial of Jesus Christ. And so today, when we hold this book in our hands and we stand on this book, we can stand on the book that is true to its word, that keeps its promises, and the prophecies of this very book fulfilled again and again and again, which gives us a great confidence that that prophecy that Jesus will return also will be fulfilled. Number six, the accuracy of the word. The accuracy of the word. The Bible finds today under enormous critique to still be true and accurate in the areas of history. In fact, for years people doubted the Word of God because of historical facts that they said just cannot possibly be true. Only to soon eat those words because of some archaeological discovery that shows leaves scientists saying, well, oh, okay. And you trace through history That is history happens and more history is discovered that the Bible is not proved less true the Bible is proved more true the word is accurate in science now the Bible was not given to us as a science book but where the Bible speaks scientifically the Bible speaks truthfully do you know that in the 1800s the French Academy of Science Produced a document that said, Here are 51 scientific facts that are in direct contradiction with what the Bible says. That was produced in the 1800s. Today, when scientists look at those 51 51 scientific facts that were thought to be errors in the 1800s. Today, science would say all 51 of those have been proven to be actually true. And before it was ever proven to be true, the Bible had already spoken of those things being true, even though science said they can't be true. The Bible, eternally accurate. Number seven, I find the Bible to be true and trustworthy. And I use this phrase because it's a, it's a phrase that's used by a lot of people. of The impact of the word of God. And it's this. Because of how the Bible reads me. What have we experienced here as a church over these last few years preaching through Psalms in the summer? We love it, don't we? We, we love being in the Psalms. And here's what I, I hear it every single week, usually more than once, where someone will say, I love when we go through the Psalms because when we're in the Psalms, I feel like I just see myself over and over and over again. Last week, I met a couple that were visiting our church for the first time. She said, we knew we were coming here, and I've been listening online to the messages for five months. And she said, I particularly wanted to mention to you a psalm that you preached this past summer. And when you preached that psalm this past summer, God was doing something in my heart and my life. And I was like, that's right where I am. If that happens over and over and over again when you're searching in life for answers, you're seeking to understand life, you're trying to understand eternity and purpose and why I'm made and what I'm here for and why I matter and, and why I would be like I am. You pick up a copy of God's Word and you begin to read it and the supernatural power, the authority, the reliability of God's Word comes through and, and we say, I'm not reading this book, this book is reading me. This book knows where I am before I ever even knew I was there. Number eight, the unity of the Bible. I believe the Bible is trustworthy, that it's it's true because of the unity of the Bible. This wasn't one writer's conference that came together to put this book together. This wasn't one prophet that went out on a hillside and got a vision from God. This book that we hold in our hand called the Bible. That word Bible comes from the Greek word that means the books. And in this book is actually a gathering of books, 66 of them. Thirty-nine in the Old Testament, twenty-seven in the New Testament, written over fifteen-hundred years by forty different authors on three continents, in three languages. And from Genesis to Revelation, when we hold it in our hand, we see a supernatural unity in this book. Adrian Rogers says the word has one theme, it's redemption. It has one hero, his name is Jesus. has one enemy, the devil, and has one purpose, and it's the glory of God. Alistair Begg says in the Old Testament, Jesus is predicted. In the Gospels, Jesus is revealed. In Acts, Jesus is preached. In the Epistles, Jesus is explained. And in Revelation, Jesus is expected. Now, you want me to say that again, don't you? I know you do, because when I heard Alistair Begg say that, I went back and listened to it over and over again. Then I printed it off, and I read it, and I wrote it down. I said, that is good. The unity of the Bible, the Old Testament, Jesus is predicted. The Gospels, Jesus is revealed. In Acts, Jesus is preached. In the Epistles, Jesus is explained. And in Revelation, Jesus is expected. And so the day when I stand before you and I preach the Word of God and I offer the Word of God, I stand believing in the Word of God because of this unity over the centuries of how God has written this story. Supernatural unity of the Bible. And then number nine, the impact of Scripture on lives. The Word of God was alive and active. And when you read the word of God, what happens? Our lives are changed. It's not good storytelling that changes lives. It's not clear illustrations that tenders hearts. It's not educated and awarded degrees that saves from sin. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ for which we need not be ashamed for it is the power unto God for salvation. 2 Timothy, Timothy chapter 3 says that the scriptures are given to us to make us wise unto salvation. We find out our need of salvation and how to receive salvation and how to live with salvation through the word of God. And our great hope today is that we can get the Word of God into the hands of people. That's why we work so hard to translate Scripture into the language of people so that they can have the Word, so that the Word can speak to their hearts and the living and active Word that reveals God to people can change their life for eternity. I want to ask our band to come to help us close this morning. We're going to be reminded again of this firm foundation that we have. But as they come, you, you, you might be tempted to say, hey, here they go again just being Bible worshipers. Listen, we're, we're not committing bibliolatry around here. The, the Bible is not our idol. But I would offer to you that we hold up the Bible as the reliable, authoritative word of God in the same way that you would use a telescope to see the galaxies. When you look at the stars through a a telescope and you discover the majesty and splendor of what seems to be infinite galaxies, of stars and planets, we don't walk away hugging and Worshipping and bowing down at our telescope. We walk away saying, look at the glory of the heavens. Today I hold God's word up to you to say it's like a telescope. Because it gives us this incredible ability to look and see the splendor and majesty and power and work of God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit I would ask you today not to just believe the Bible is true and trustworthy but would you today believe the message of the word will you be saved and if you are saved will you submit your life to the word of God Father would you put us in a position Put us in a position today, Lord, for renewed reliability on your Word.